In today's episode, I get to interview Jeremy Pollard. Listen in as he describes what makes a great storyteller. But the world's best storytellers are also the best listeners and the best at asking questions because that's what makes their story actually line up to the, the, the other party's consequence or situation. Welcome to the Telling of Story podcast. I'm your host, Storyteller Jules, and it's with delight that I get to chat with an old friend and occasional colleague, Jeremy Pollard. Jeremy started selling at the wee age of 16. He wanted a new camera, so he got a weekend job at a local camera store, learned about best cameras, made some great friends, and got some staff discount as well. And then he was headhunted into revenue responsibility roles across a range of industries, industrial equipment, technology, including being employee number five at Microsoft Australia when it was just a challenger brand. Jeremy spent a decade at IBM learning large account complex sales, which taught him the importance of having an in-depth knowledge, but that the secret to customer focus imparted to him by the older, wiser salespeople meant listening more than selling. Today, Jeremy helps organisations large and small around Asia-Pacific win more work with the Shipley Associates Global Consulting Practice based on customer focus. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jules. Thanks for having me. Jeremy, there's a period between IBM and Shipley, however, the time we first met around 20 years ago or so, where you were consulting via a company you had founded called Best Story Wins. Tell me why you called it that and what was the premise of what you did through that period? Well, the, the thing that I'd observed was that, um, and, and of course this is just my experience, but the majority of organisations have, a, have a, a good offering, good product, good people, you know, as a, and as a customer, it's often really hard uh, to pick the difference between all the suppliers standing outside the window going, choose me, choose me. And my observation, you know, as I, as I, I worked both buying and selling, both, both sides of that kind of divide, is that, you know, when I was in an organisation and we wanted to try and buy something, it was actually really hard to pick a difference between all these different bidders, these different suppliers. And quite often, you know, when we'd make a decision and we'd sit around and talk about it, I, you know, I'd, I'd always, I was always fascinated by how the decision process worked and, and in some quite, you know, big companies, sort of some very, very small startups. And, and there's always a degree of uh, technical compliance necessary. You know, if you need a software system to do uh, job tracking or you want to bridge across a river uh, or you need a building to house a certain type of industrial equipment, all of those have a simple compliance aspect. But when all of the, all of the organisations can meet those basic compliance issues, it often comes down to a bunch of other factors uh, which are not always covered by the technical specifications. 
Now, w- one of those, one of those that there are some really, really good experts on in the world is just the, 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 the qualities of relationship and trust, you know, um, people buy from people. They don't, organisations don't buy from organisations as a, as a common aphorism, and I certainly believe in that. So then if you've, if you've got a technically acceptable product, unlike most of the other suppliers, you've got a bit of a relationship with the organisation, you've got a bit of trust and credibility in the market. Like what's, what's left? How do you stand apart? And the thing that I observed and experienced, began practising, was, was the art of story. Um, you know, and, and in the sense of uh, the, there's a common expression, so when you meet someone, so what's your story? Not as in the tales and fables that we read our children at bedtime or read our children at bedtime, but more in the kind of explain yourself version. Uh, so, you know, on that idea, you know, we'd often, when we were buying, we'd, we'd have suppliers come in and that'd be our question. What's your story? And we weren't, we weren't looking for all the feeds and speeds of the technology and how the service package was assembled and how much everything costed. We were looking for things around, you know, why they got into the business. You know, what are they, what are they trying to do? Why, why is helping people with this important to you? And one of the reasons for that is that, um, and there's a great TED talk on, on this, Simon Sinek talked, you know, gave a talk that's very, very famous now on explaining your why. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go repeat all of that. But it's part of your story is why you got into it, and and that was that was sort of a start. But then what what I also discovered when I formed Best Story Wins, and this was my kind of transition into Shipley, is that so often when people are asked, what's your story, they just regurgitate like a stock response. Uh, it's, a, it's a bunch of motherhood from the website. Not that I've got anything against motherhood on the website, but generally it's so vague and uh, self-serving. It's not very customer-focused. And, and so what's your story should be thought of more as an invitation than an excuse for boring people talking about yourself. So that's that's where it kind of got started. And so through that process, clearly, you know, you're helping, you know, many organisations start to tell their story and, and evolve that story. Is there some key areas, um, do you think, that, you know, where storytelling actually helps in the sales process? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all the way through um, is my sense of it. Uh, of course, early on in the piece, a good a good story, and and I I I, I don't want to the the language of customer focused story is too cumbersome, so I'm just going to say story. But in each of the levels, understand that I I I'm talking about a. Uh, a story for a prospect 
or a possible customer, uh, someone you're working with on a business case or an existing client, in each of those instances, as they as you work through that buying journey with them, needs to be customized, optimized to be relevant to the listener. You know, none of us would sit down and tell a story about a topic if the audience wasn't interested in the topic. You know, that's just self-indulgence. That's not storytelling. So the greatest storytellers in the world, um, you know, if we take this back to our our pre-industrial and pre-sales origins, uh, one of of my favourite memories of studying all of this was a course at the New South Wales Writers' Centre where there was a topic of storytelling and, and there was this Irish, professional Irish storyteller there who told this marvellous yarn about growing up in a little village where, he, you know, on, on Saturday nights everybody would go down to the local pub, which wasn't that large, but that was where everybody gathered and the wind would be blowing, the fires would be burning, the conversation would be going and he, he can remember falling asleep to the sound, not of uh, occasionally of music, but, but but not of screens with football scores being shouted at yet, but people telling stories, telling yarns. And they were a way of uh, reminding people of who they were and where they'd come from. And I'm sitting at this in this class uh, hearing this character talking. And I, I thought, well, look, this is one of the oldest forms of communication, of connection, and of passing on ideas. Nobody sits down and says, okay, everybody here at the pub, I'm going to give you a lecture on how to behave in this situation. You know, it's like eyes and roll, everyone would turn their back and go back to the bar or the fire. But when you tell a story about somebody going on a journey and having to overcome a problem, and having to dig deep in themselves to find out what was necessary to survive or be successful or overcome the challenges. You know, Hollywood's, you know, made a science and an art form out of this. I went to a script writing workshop years ago and got taken through all the character archetypes. And, and so when I got involved in selling, I realised that the version of it in selling, to your point about, you know, where does this apply? It's right at the very beginning. If you're going to be introduced to someone as a potential supplier, before somebody will introduce me or introduce you or someone else, they're going to tell a little story about that person or that character or that that company. And so to get the initial trust, to have people prepared to kind of pull back from, yeah, should I give you any time, you've got to awaken the interest in hearing about you from a story, ideally delivered by someone else, but if you've got to do it yourself, at least make it relevant to me, the person you're telling it to. And then those stories evolve with the, the evolving of your relationship with your buyer. Later, you know, let's say they've bought, they've signed the contract, your implementation team will tell stories to get across points about how to use the solution well. Um, And the 
the oldest version of this or the simplest version to help people get a handle on what it looks like can just be the intro of two simple words that a lot of salespeople and processes use, and that's when there's a conversation about solving a problem and then to establish credibility and reassure the other party, people will often say these two words. So, you know, we think that can be improved. This is going to happen. For example, down the road at so-and-so's place, they had this problem and they fixed it up by doing X, Y, and Z, and now the problem's gone away. And so a story can be as simple as a brief example of somebody else with the same problem as your prospect, overcoming it and getting it fixed. And that, and that might be all the story you need. It might just happen in a quick, short conversation. Or you can make it a part of your ongoing process. But everywhere from introduction all the way through to implementation, um, I've seen stories applied well, Jules, in customer service where people have problems three years into a contract. Oh, okay, so that's going wrong. Yeah, let's think about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, let me tell you a story about somebody else who found this problem and this is what we looked at. Would you be prepared to go investigate on that basis? They sorted it out. It wasn't what you know what they thought, but so it's it's it builds credibility, it explains, it educates all the way through that through that cycle is is my experience of it. Fabulous, Jeremy. Um you know, you and I talk about a lot you know the the buyer's journey in as a process um and it is a a fairly well-defined process at at this point in time and we've often overlaid storytelling at different stages of that process how much do you think people in general how much do you think they think about the things that they're saying through the selling process versus you know, practitioners like you and I, where we sort of really sort of dig deep around the conversation and the and the timing of some of these stories and the types of stories that you tell. Do you think it's um, more of an art or a science? Where where does that sort of line uh, get drawn for you when when you're teaching that uh, to get people to sort of understand that these storytelling principles need to take place at certain times? through certain parts of the journey and do some people actually do that a little bit more naturally than than others couple of couple of great questions in there Jules I, I i think to your last point about you know some people doing it more naturally sometimes uh you know sales has got a reputation for attracting people that you know love a good chat i, I don't i don't mind talking to others and yet unless properly harnessed uh that can end up being a bit one way. So some people in sales, oh yeah, so and so, they're big, they're a great salesperson. They can, you know, talk the back leg off a donkey or whatever expression you want to use. But that's not always good storytelling, and it's not always good customer focus. And uh, I've been blessed to work with engineers and technicians and scientific folk 
who use a kind of science-based method, an engineering method, that's about asking a lot of questions. Uh, well, why do you think this is happening? And what, what's it mean when that occurs? And what's your evidence that that's a problem? And what's the consequence of that? What numbers would you associate with it? So great storytelling is not based on being able to talk a lot. It's actually, I believe, based on being able to listen really well and, and ask questions which in, in the answering of them by the other party, they come to kind of better understand their own topic by having to think about it in a guided way. So as a, as a somewhat provocative suggestion, uh, I, I'd posit, I'd suggest that the world's best storytellers are also the best listeners and the best at asking questions because that's what makes their story actually line up to the, the, the other party's consequence or situation. To your, to your question about the degree to which that's innate, um, I think it comes with people who've had a lot of experience and gone down dead ends. You know, I've met people who've been selling 20, 30 years and by trial and error, oh, that didn't work, oh, that didn't work. The school of hard knocks has taught them what to shut up about and, and, and what works. I, I, one of the things I, I get so much satisfaction out of if and when it, you know, it occurs is getting people to think about the level of maturity of their steps in their buyer's journey. And what do I mean by that? There's these lovely things Carnegie Mellon developed years ago called capability maturity models, which for any area of human endeavour is to uh, basically take key steps and grade them on a one to five scale. One being ad hoc, everyone does something different. Two means, oh, we've agreed on a couple of things and Five being the whole organisation learns and it self-optimises. And you can apply CMMs to making a cup of tea to human resources, to software. There's one for business development. And if you think about the range of characters in your organisation, and by characters I mean roles, people, um, interacting with your market, with your customers, probably the first place to start is to just, you don't have to get them all in, 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 at once, but go out to your team, your extended team, if you've got channels and partners, and just have some conversations, ask them. You don't have to go to a formal survey or poll to start with, although that's good later as the data builds up. Just ask them what role they think the ability to tell stories effectively has in their building of trust, building a relationship, understanding of needs, explaining how you solve the needs. So self-assess for the degree to which people are even conscious of their use of listening and replying with stories in the current process because you can't impose it from above as a cure unless people are, are actually aware that it's something they either use or if they do use, could do better with. And so my 
my suggestion would be you're going to be as an organisation somewhere in your maturian use, but without actively having worked on it, probably not very mature, and that means uh, spasmodic, erratic, inconsistent. So find the pockets, the people, the roles that are doing it well and get their story on how they use stories and make heroes out of them, make what they do something that others will, without being told, seek to emulate. Make it an aspirational quality in the way people work with each other, uh, work with customers. And that, that last point I found really important because not everyone thinks of themselves as a salesperson. Uh, I, I didn't. I was just some kid, 21, who had to manage the parts counter when everyone, all the salespeople went to lunch. And so people had come in, order stuff, talk about what they needed, and I, I ended up selling more in the lunch hour than the salespeople did in a full day. And they're going, well, what are you doing? How are you doing it? And I go, I just ask them what they want. Why do they want that? Why is that important? And so this idea of, you know, listening, make, make your heroes, the people that have got this already, whether it's by trial and error, it doesn't matter. Before, but before you try and make it a big formal process, just have your internal relationships a bit driven by a bit more questioning. So if sales and engineering or marketing and finance or engineering and product and finance have to meet and have a conversation, try and think about what role listening and playing back stories and using stories to make points might help internally. Give out awards, give people gold stars, give certificates for it, internal internal storytelling. But make sure people understand it's not blah, 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 talking out. It's listen, play back, reflect, use it to illustrate. And when you get a bit of confidence up internally, you're starting to change the culture a little bit, that becomes a safe platform from which your your teams, your stakeholders can take the confidence they've hopefully built from some internal use and start to use it externally with other stakeholders. I, I read an interesting statistic recently that suggested that most of the, the groundwork to a good sale comes from the your customer delivery, your contract admin, your support staff. Like if, if they're doing a good job and your, your name, your, the trust of you as an organisation is good in the marketplace, that's the platform to go in and sell more on top of. And if you can get better listening, playback, illustrative storytelling in all of the the folk that you have dealing with your market and your customers, then that is a really powerful platform to build future sales on. But if you just do it with your salespeople, what's the risk you run? 
is that they look like they work one day and everyone out the back is not on board, not on the same program. And it has to start at the top. The, the executive team have to kind of recognise that this type of relationship is important. And for that reason, this rarely works with autocratic or kind of you-do-what-I-tell-you organisations because that internal behaviour is normally how they're seen and appear out in the market as well. Storytelling is anything but that. Jeremy, you talk a lot about listening um, and then using the information that you're hearing clearly to reflect back and, and tell some of those stories. I've had the pleasure uh, of observing you facilitate more workshops than I can count um, and you have this innate ability to be able to gather everyone's questions, you know, as early as you can in the piece and everyone's problems and just hear, hear why, why they're there, you know, what, what are the things that they want resolved for them um, and then you masterfully, you know, weave those responses into the workshop itself so that throughout the process you, you are able to answer each and every one of those questions and concerns and you do it so beautifully that it feels like you're, you know, you've tailored the workshop to that individual person without making it feel like you've just wedged in these responses sort of willy-nilly. So it's an absolute skill and abs- it's beautiful to watch um, congratulations on I've learned a hell of a lot just observing you do some of these things. Um, when and how did you discover this skill? Um, and what have you learnt about that power of actually weaving those uh, their stories into yours so that it feels so much more personal? Well, thank you for the, uh, for the lovely feedback. That was what what you're describing was was not me in my 20s. I was the wind-up sales robot that just went out and unaided could just tell people everything about every product. And uh, no, 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 don't, don't interrupt with a question. I haven't finished this yet. It, it, it was all one way. And uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm very grateful that I had patient sales management and other older, wiser salespeople to take me aside, including, I might say, my my father, uh, Brian Pollard, who was 35 years in sales at IBM. He was one of the first half a dozen um, of their most senior sales reps globally um, to be uh, accorded a new title of consulting sales rep, this is 30 30 plus years ago. And and it was in recognition of their giving back to the sales craft of helping newer, younger members build their skills and their capabilities. And um, my father's story was kind of special uh, because when he was younger, he had a really bad starter and spent quite a bit of time trying to work beyond that. And when he joined IBM, it was as an engineer. Part of his logic, as I understand it, was that he he didn't have to talk much. Uh, But what he found was when he was on the subjects he was interested in, 
which were largely people's problems to be solved as an engineer, he could chat away, no problem. And he, he, I remember saying once, he, he kind of realised that being interested in other people uh, was kind of like a prerequisite because if, you, if you've got that curiosity, if you're genuinely interested in their problems and their challenges and what it means to them, it just becomes a fascinating conversation. And that was not me in my 20s. And my father, bless him, was very patient with me while I eventually had the stuffing knocked out of me by a bunch of others before he, he kind of sat me down. I was heading for 30 at this stage, and he said, okay, well, you know, are you interested in hearing a few things, listening, having a bit of a chat about all this? And, I, and what I had to do to get better at doing it, to get to the level that you described there, was to just get out of my own way. This whole process wasn't about me and what I knew. I mean, sometimes, you know, the ego gets in the way and wants to, you know, revert back. But, but generally those situations you've described are where uh, you just go into a zone where the, the people that you're there to serve and, and what they're grappling with, I always, I always take notes I always, you know, sometimes it's on a flip chart online now, delivering a lot. I have a little uh, notepad and I, I, I still go around. I ask everybody, why are you here? What are you trying to do? And, and I, I keep an eye on that list. Uh, you know, so I'll be, I'll be watching. And, and, it, and at the right part of the day, uh, I'll do what you've probably observed and I'll refer back to the person that brought up that issue or that question and, and I'll check with them, did that material, did that part of the story help you with what you said earlier this morning? And half the time they're surprised or some have even forgotten what they brought up. But it reminds me of a lovely uh, TED Talk I, I heard once on communication that said the act of just showing you've listened to somebody, whether or not you understand, whether or not you agree, whether or not you can solve the problem, just the act of saying, so you're worried about X is 80% of the problem done. So often in the workshops and the teaching, I don't don't always have the answers. But, you know, people will go away from your sales, your marketing, your technician's diagnostics, feeling heard if they've been able to get their story across and feel it was heard. So there's there's where it goes for me, full loop. I began saying to suppliers, tell me your story. And what I discovered decades later is that the secret to the whole best story wins process is the extent to which you can get the customer to share their story and their journey and their trials and tribulations and where they want to get to with you. And our job is to just play that back carefully, thoughtfully with them. And in a lot of instances, 
as I've gotten older and hopefully a bit wiser, just playing that back to them, often, largely, particularly in a lot of the coaching I do now, helps people solve the problem. Now, sometimes I don't actually offer anything except the questions that they have to think about to answer. Problem solved. I go, wow, that was amazing. And I go, yeah, I didn't do much really, but be interested. So for for people that kind of, there's also, there's a million books on storytelling, well, structure and the theatrics. And I, I it, the irony is it's one of those flips. I really think it's about getting the customer to tell their story now. That's the journey I've been on. That's where I've arrived at. So do you think there's any merit in, you know, the, the emphasis that people talk about when it comes to, you know, quality of content, for example, when you're telling these stories, you know, a lot of the stuff we've talked about is, you know, a lot of face-to-face kind of stuff um, and presentations and being able to actually, you know, look at somebody in the eye. That's that's definitely um, one way to, to tell your story, but more often than not, people are spending more and more time not talking to you, um, but looking for that same evidence, that same trust, um, that same empathy in a lot of the stuff that you, you know, publish out and present out into the public in order to to get those people attracted to you in the form, you know, it might be in the form of a website, it might be the in the form of, uh, you know, video content or blogging or all number of types of content. How do you, do you have any advice around how do you, you know, firstly, how do you achieve that same amount of sort of feeling that they're, that you're responding to their question? That's question number one. But is there too much importance placed on, you know, the quality of the video, the quality of the lighting, the quality of the audio, the frequency at which you post, you know, all of those things that get talked about quite a lot. Which is more important? Is it is it the content itself, the raw content, or is it a combination of the two? Where do you think that's going? Yeah, it's it, it it's a really good question because I I have always had an interest in filmmaking and storytelling and video and production. You know, to the extent that my family are laughing at me because sitting on the desk here behind me. I've got an anamorphic lens for my iPhone. And a lot of people possibly won't even know what an anamorphic lens is, but it's designed to give the even narrower and flatter picture than 16 by 9, which is what you get when you go to the movies. So production quality, I'm a bit of a bit of a tragic over it myself. Uh, like you, I've got a you know a good microphone here on the desk and so it's important you, you don't want poor quality to be a barrier between you and your storytelling and your content by any means. But I, I do believe that there's a, a, a bit of a, a temptation to focus on that uh, to the detriment of actually having anything to say. And, you know, it, it's like me. When I, years ago I wanted to, you know, like some a lot, of, a lot of people wanted to be in a band, decided to learn to play guitar, and in, in the end I had more books on how to play guitar than I actually spent hours practising. Um, and I, I think a lot of content and podcast and video stuff 
you know, can, can for some drift into that. But, but here's, here's the really interesting thing. If, if my suggestion, if you, if, you, if you wanted to kind of build content, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not saying this as a master of it because I'm at a stage in my career now where having worked with thousands of people over the years, I'm not trying to build my career doing what you're suggesting or talking about. It's happened to me very slowly and very organically, but I understand, you know, giving advice to my own kids, for example, uh, is uh, how do you accelerate it? How do you, how do you not wait 20 years to get known? And a, a, couple, of, a couple of things that I, I suggest to people, um, one, just, you know, go back and watch Simon Sinek's talk on TED about why and ask yourself the question, what are you doing this for? Like, to what end is the content being produced? Oh, I want to be seen as X, good, Y. Think about what it is you're hoping to do. Who are you hoping to serve? What, What problem that they've got? Are you going to hold yourself out as being an expert in? What if you were to be part of a community of people interested in solving that problem? What would the problem be? What sort of community would you want to build? Who would the sort of people that you would actually want to learn from look like? Yeah. And what are their stories? And are you the curator of the community and a contributor or do you just want to contribute and maybe you go off and find someone else's and just be a helpful voice there? But if, you, if you're going to go from being a contributor to other communities to carving out your own niche, I think it's really important to just look at your motivations, look at your reasons are there other people already in that space? What are they saying? How do you be? How can you be different? There's uh, what is it? How many hundred thousand hours of online video every hour? So if we want to stand out, you gotta you gotta pick a real niche that that you feel strongly about and have some authority and credibility in. Uh, or figure out a plan for going, growing it, building it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I've, I've arrived at a place where people seem to feel I've, I've got a, a modest amount of credibility on, on what I spend my time helping in. Um, but if you, if you're going to go out and put effort and energy into becoming a, a recognised figure. Uh, a character that people come to and trust on a topic, look at why and look at what that topic and the problem that people can solve by your stewardship of expertise around it. You don't have to be the knower of everything, but if you're going to foster or create an environment, ask yourself why people who are already experts and it might want to work with you. What are you going to offer them? Maybe it's a platform. Maybe it's a, form of distribution, um, the building a, building a tribe, building a community of interest can't be a cold calculated formula. I, I, I has to, you have to look right in here at yourself 
and be doing it for the right reason. You know, my driver, my motivator is, is so simple. It's that I just hate working in really stupid, frustrating, time-wasting sales processes. You know, I love, I love selling. I love representing great products to interested people. But I hate with a passion wasting time and doing dumb stuff to get there. So that's that's been my mission. That's my why, you know. And storytelling is part of doing that better. I think until people find their their why, their motivation for doing it, what what sort of microphone to buy becomes a bit academic. So now my anamorphic lens is just because I just want to shoot beautiful stuff in the garden that uh, you know, you, you pick pick your tools, but pick your why first to be my paraphrasing of all that. Jeremy, my final question is something I'm not even going to ask you because you've just beautifully articulated it, um, which was going to be if somebody paid you a million dollars to pick your brain and you only had a few minutes to tell them, you know, give them some really good advice, what would that sound like? I think you've already responded to that in the last few minutes, but is there anything you want to add to that response or are you happy with what you've just told? Because it was beautifully articulated. Thank you. I, I had bashed into me at a young age. Two ears, one mouth. If, if you're going to be in the storytelling business for yourself or others, remember the ratio. And have a look at how much uh, time you spend in a day or a week or a month and try and spend about two-thirds of it listening, learning, asking questions, and maybe a third of it testing all of that and playing that back. And, you know, here at Shipley Associates, when we're working with customers, one of our fun little measures uh, is to take people, get people to look at a proposal or a written document. And I jokingly say, oh, Microsoft have put a Shipley command into, into Word. I go, oh, what's that? What's that? And I say, it's, it's, uh, it's control F for focus. And it brings up a little box and you put in your company name and hit enter. And it'll tell you how many times your company name is in your proposal. And then you do control F again and you put their company name in and you see how many times that appears. And if that ratio is different to the magic two-thirds, one-third we talked about before, then you got a customer focus problem. So, you know, there's the, there's the Pareto principle 80-20. There's all sorts of rules and guidelines. If there's just one thing then, just remember two ears, one mouth and keep the ratio going in your own time and in all of your connection, communication with your stakeholders, even down to the, the level of the number of words in a proposal or a tender response, which is something we do at Shipley, it's kind of fun. So that'd be my parting thought, yeah. Magic stuff, Jeremy. It's been an absolute pleasure and delight. I know you and I could talk for hours and hours, if not days, on, on this topic, and we've done so many times in front of a whiteboard. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I thank you for it. You've imparted some Brilliant uh, words of advice. Where can the listener find out a little bit more about you or Shipley if they're, if they're interested? 
Jeremy Pollard, Jeremy.Pollard online on LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to get started. Happy to kind of hook up and uh, connect to anybody there. Thanks, Jeremy. Chat soon. Total pleasure, Jules. Great talking with you. See you again. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did with Jeremy. I've learned a lot with him over the years and I'm truly grateful. And it was a great reminder that if you understand your why and are able to listen to the problems your customers have and play it back within your response, you'll build trust, empathy and resolve. And that will go a long way to being super attractive and will ultimately gain customers and keep them for a long time. Much love. Chat soon.